Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you because we want to know you better. We come to know you. uh, We come to you this morning because we want to hear from you. We ask that you would give us soft hearts. We ask that you would give us willing spirits. We ask that you would give us the kind of faith that we need to hear your word and then to put it into practice. And so we come to you this morning with that plea in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. God told the people of God through the prophet Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. People call upon God from various places and various settings. As I've already told the children, God is found here most especially. And that's what we want to look at today is an understanding of the church You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22, and that's on page 977 of the Pew Bible. I preached a series on Ephesians uh, a while back, and I was on vacation when we were at this particular text, so I thought I would come back to it here this morning. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit name of our church is Reformation Presbyterian Church. Uh, I wasn't here at the beginning of the church and I wasn't here when the name was selected, but obviously the name comes from the historic Reformation of the 16th century. It was a point in history where the church had become corrupted. The church had lost its way and lost the gospel and lost what real authority is, that is to say the authority of Jesus Christ in his word. And so it was more than just a matter of history, it was actually a movement of God within the church to reclaim the church, to reform the church, to revitalize the church from the inside out, to reclaim the gospel, to reform the church in worship and morality and spirituality, to revitalize the church with a new energy and zeal for the glory of God. But when the Roman Catholic Church resisted such changes and reforms there was a break it was a break with the church and it wasn't just one break there were actually many breaks and there have been many breaks ever since then as churches and groups have splintered off and as you look at the family tree even of presbyterianism you see those splinter groups shooting off not to mention all the various denominations that we have in the world today now if you fast forward several hundred years to the 19th and 20th century, when the church became stagnant in a number of places, where there wasn't much spiritual vitality and fervor in life, where liberalism was beginning to creep in. There was another movement. But this time, it wasn't so much a movement to make new churches, but rather a movement to go outside of the church to build new organizations that would run parallel to the church. After all, if the church is not going to do it, then we'll create an organization that will do it. And so it was a very different kind of approach 
to the struggles within the church. It was a suspicion of the church that led people to go outside of the church. And that reality has snowballed to the present day where now there is such a suspicion of the church that people say there's nothing for me there, nothing that I want. In fact, there are things there that I don't want, things that I would run from, that I would rather be free from. Others might say, I can get what I need spiritually on my own or, or from other places. I can listen to sermons online. I can have a, a couple of close Christian friends on the outside. I can do other things to get my spiritual fix, so to speak. I don't really need the church. And so it's become a consumer approach to the church. And if it meets my needs, then I'll be there. Otherwise, I'll find it somewhere else. Well... The one thing that Jesus did promise in the word about the organization that he would work through in the world is that he would build his church. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is present in his church. And Jesus wants us to seek him in his church. Paul knows this reality. And so he writes to the Ephesians about this great understanding of what it means to be called out of the world and into the church. And he gives us several things here about why it is so important to seek God in the church. Let me tell you the first one. That is that God has established special relationships in the church. God has established special relationships in the church. People today in our culture and Western world often feel like they have a right to belong anywhere, right? We want to break down barriers. We want to press through the envelope because after all, I have some inalienable right to be everywhere. So every organization, every institution and the way in which modern individualism approaches the world and life is to say, I have a right to be there. That's not at all the way that God talks about the church. In fact, what does he say? If you go back to earlier point in the chapter, verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Strangers, separated, aliens. That's how God speaks of people who are not in Christ by faith. And He says to them, now you may be present in the church, but you don't have a right to all the blessings of the church unless, unless you come to Christ in faith. Because after all, this is not a problem that anybody in the world can remedy. It's only something that Christ can remedy. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse, 15, or verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus reconciles a people to Himself and a people to one another. That's what He goes on to say. Because He tells us in verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
What Christ has done on the cross is reconcile us to Him and reconcile us to each other. And all those who come to Jesus in faith are welcomed and are no longer strangers and aliens. That's what he says in our text, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens because of Christ's great work on the cross. And because now by faith you trust in Him You're no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. You're no longer kept on the outside of the kingdom of God. You're no longer unwelcome in God's presence, but you're welcome because you've been cleansed and you've been made into His people. We have a new status. We belong, as He says, to His kingdom and to His family. Verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen. He knew all the benefits and blessings of being a Roman citizen, the things that were secured for him. You remember how at Philippi and at Jerusalem he was arrested. And when those who had arrested him realized that he was a Roman citizen, they were afraid. And they released him. Paul knew the great blessings of being a Roman citizen. But in the New Testament, he speaks more about his heavenly citizenship And he says, now, let me tell you, I have been a Roman citizen my life since birth, but there are greater blessings by being a citizen of heaven. Because there are eternal rights, eternal privileges, eternal blessings that no earthly kingdom can give you. No earthly kingdom can take away your guilt. No earthly kingdom can deal with the fact that we have shame in our lives because we've never lived up to who we are. No earthly kingdom can guarantee eternal life. No earthly kingdom can say you are welcome in the presence of God. Paul says here, you are a citizen of heaven. and We ought to rejoice in that. But not only are we citizens of God's kingdom, but he says more intimately, we are members of His family. In other words, we've been adopted into the family of God. We didn't have it by our natural birth. It's not our right, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted as His children. And so now we're sons and daughters and welcomed into God's presence. And He is our Heavenly Father. Our rights and privileges are not only as citizens, but as sons and daughters of the King. Now, there are some people who would like to think of themselves as citizens and family members. And yet they've never come to Christ in faith. They've never repented of their sins. They've never looked upon Jesus and said, I am sorry for what I have done. Please forgive me. They hang around the church. They hang around God. They're sort of like permanent visitors. They come around. They spend time looking in the windows, but they never actually take that step of faith to come to Jesus. They never become citizens or family members. God says, you can be a citizen of heaven too. You can be a part of God's family too if you will come to Jesus in faith and trust in Him and in Him alone. Those who know Christ have been bound together been bound together in a special relationship. Paul says you are fellow citizens. You are members together of the household of God. We are in this together. We are fellow citizens and family members. It's images of corporate body. 
We are bound together with people going in the same direction. Just like two believers who are joined together in marriage and made one flesh, they are looking together at the Lord Jesus Christ and they are there to encourage one another. They are there to sanctify each other. They are there to remind one another of the truths of God's Word, of what it means to be forgiven, that you're acceptable in His sight. They are there to spur one another on in faith and good deeds. Paul says it's a very similar thing when you come into the family of God. You're joined together, bound together in these special relationships with other Christians so that together we're looking at Christ and we say together we want to move towards Him so that we're able to spur one another on, encourage one another, at times rebuke each other. Paul says, outside of these kinds of special relationships, then you will not find the work of God. God works through His people, through His church. And we need to recognize these special relationships and lay hold of them. You might think of how much we need each other to teach us what it means to be Christians by thinking about the Cold War. I'm old enough to remember the tail end of the Cold War and some of the defections from communist China and the Soviet Union. And when people came over, I could just imagine that they had to learn how to be American citizens. Not just in the sense that they had to learn the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag or the Constitution of the United States of America, but they also had to learn what it was like to actually live with the rights and the privileges and the responsibilities of being an American citizen. They had to learn what it was like to live without someone looking over your shoulder, without paranoia wondering, is the government going to get me? They had to learn to live with new freedoms. Or you might think of it another way, and not so much government terms, but in familiar terms. What about someone who was growing up in a family where people just did not care if you existed? They don't care if you're around, they don't care if you come home on time. They don't care whether you have a birthday. It doesn't matter because you don't matter. And then you're adopted into a family where love reigns. And it does matter that you're present. It does matter that you have a birthday. It does matter that you're struggling in your faith. It does matter that you've had success in your workplace or at school. It does matter the joys that you have in the Lord. You see, what takes place when you come into the church is that we're retrained, you might say. Much like a defector coming to the United States or an adopted child, you're retrained to say, now this is what it's like to be a child of God. This is what it's like to be a citizen of heaven. And this is how I'm supposed to live with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we participate in the life of the church, We're in God's realm, a realm where He promises to work, and it's in that realm that He trains us how to enjoy the rights and privileges of citizenship as we interweave our lives with one another. You might think of the the Christian who is isolated from other people, maybe more mature, immature in their faith. How is it that they are going to grow and mature in Christ if they're not with the people of God? 
if they're not with those who study the Bible, not with those who pray, not with those who love them. You know, it's only in those places where when we come out of our isolation that we're able to grow and mature and enjoy the richness of the community that God has for us. Where people are passionate about Him. Where people delight in Him. Or you think of those who are facing situations where they just don't know how to walk by faith in God. It's a situation where they found themselves and they've never been there before and they wonder, how do I walk with God here? How do I press forward? How do I keep going? And you see, it's in those places where we need one another. For those whose lives look like they have embraced citizenship with the world as much as citizenship in heaven You see, they need people around them who are going in the right direction to say, now look, follow me. This is where we're going. Claim your citizenship in heaven. Go down this road with me. What about those people who are so ridden with guilt? So overcome with what they have done. May have been yesterday or last week. Maybe a year ago. It may be when you were young. And you just can't let it go. And it's at that point that you need a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside you and embrace you and say, trust in Christ. He will take it all away. Friends, we need one another because God has made special relationships in the church of Jesus Christ. Our lives with believers during the week matter as we invest ourselves in each other, as we spend time with each other in maybe more personal settings where God is able to till up our hearts, where God is able to deal with us in maybe more private matters, where God is able to enable us to serve other people, and where God is actually preparing us through all of that to gather together in a corporate setting where we worship Him and all of a sudden worship becomes even more special because we look around the room and we see one another and we know how we are bound together in Christ and we know what's going on in each other's lives and we've been praying for each other and people have been praying for us. And all of a sudden when we gather together in that kind of setting, God is powerfully present and it makes it more joyful and meaningful than ever before. We're called into the church as fellow citizens into special relationships. But there's another thing here, and that is God is doing a special work in the church. Not only has God established special relationships, but He's doing a special work in the church. Paul tells us here we're no longer strangers and aliens, that we're citizens and family members. And that's because God is using us as building material for His own house, for His own dwelling place, for a place for Him to live. Look at verse 20. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. First, He tells us about the foundation. It's the apostles and the prophets. The apostles, the twelve who were with Jesus and witnessed his earthly ministry that he appointed, plus Paul, as well as the prophets. 
a separate office that God had given during the New Testament era, during the apostolic age. And both of these offices carried with them authoritative teaching where God's church could hear directly from Him and know what's true. And so here they are the foundational stones of this living, holy temple because not only were they the first ones to confess faith in Christ, but also because of their authoritative teaching about Christ upon which the rest of the church exists, the rest of the church rests. And then he goes on to tell us a bit more about this foundation, but it's all built upon Jesus. He's the cornerstone. The stone that sets the building true. You know, archaeologists excavated an ancient stone from the southern wall of the temple and found it to be 39 feet long. That's a massive stone, isn't it? Bit of a symbol of the massive stone of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the center point of the church. He is the cornerstone upon which the whole building is erected. That's what it tells us. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Christ is the life of the church. He feeds her. He nourishes her. He strengthens. He protects. He revives at times. And He grows the church. This is a temple that grows as new believers. All the time are gathered in from all over the world into the church universal and made to be new building material for Christ so that He could fit us into just the right place in this living temple. So He's selecting. He's chiseling. He's sanding away. He's hoisting us. He's setting us in place and then making those fine-tuned adjustments, knocking off a, a point that protrudes here, sanding off a rough spot there, and it's all painful at times. It's uncomfortable at times. And yet over the long term, what we see is God at work doing a great job of building a holy temple for Himself. And that doesn't work anywhere else. That doesn't take place anywhere else like it takes place in the church. That kind of work of sanctification, that kind of work of building a holy temple, that kind of work of God where He's erecting a glorious house for Himself isn't taking place everywhere in the world. It's taking place right here and in countless other churches around the world. Because that's what God promises. Even in the family. Unless the family is comprised of all Christians, but even then, it's only a small part of what God is doing. Because God is wanting to fit us into a much larger work than just the family. He's wanting to fit us into the church worldwide that will last forever. God is doing a special work here that He's not doing anywhere else. Now the problem is, the problem is often that we resist the work we don't want that. We don't want to be sanded down. I don't want to be chiseled away. I don't want to be made to fit. And yet God says, if you want to be with me, it's actually the very thing that you need. If you want to be with God, then you have to be willing to accept His work. 
that He puts you in a body of other believers. Though it's uncomfortable, though it presses you in at times, though it feels like you're getting knocked around at times, He says, this is where I am and this is where I work. We can say things like, I don't like that. We can withdraw from the church, maybe in ways that we hope are not apparent and noticed by others. But we're actually withdrawing from God's work in our lives. And if we want to be with Him, we need to accept the way He works. You need to be willing to have your life fitted in with everybody else. To have your life, in a sense, exposed in that way. To be chiseled off in places. So that He can make you into the kind of stone that fits in His living temple. Well, the last thing is this. Not only has God established special relationships and doing a special work, but also God is present in a special way in the church. God is building a holy living temple for a reason. And the reason is, He wants to live in it. God wants to live in this holy temple. That's what He says in verse 22. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, if you remember your Bible history, when the tabernacle was created, Exodus chapter 40, it was completed. And what happened? The Lord came down and filled the Holy of Holies. The same was true when the temple was erected. The Lord filled the Holy of Holies. There was this glorious manifestation, what's called the Shekinah glory, that filled the Holy of Holies in the temple. And God's people were called together in corporate worship to come into the presence of God, but they had to stand far off. Not so today. Because now Jesus has come and He has torn open the way that we have free access to God so that now the dwelling place of God is not a building made out of bricks and stones and timbers. But the dwelling place of God is right here with His people. He's built a new temple for Himself. He is, is building a new home for Himself. Now Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and you may remember from our study a while back that it was in Ephesus that one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was found, this great temple to Artemis. And thousands of people would flock together and worship there. And I'm sure as this little fledgling church was getting going in this great metropolis of Ephesus, and this massive temple which dwarfed the Parthenon was present, I'm sure there was the temptation at times to think, maybe that's where God really is. We're so small. We're so insignificant. We don't really count that much. We're not having this great impact. Maybe God is really over there. And Paul says, no. The world may seek Him there. The world may build great edifices to find God. The world may create their own organizations their own beliefs to try to create a God for themselves, but the real God, the true and living God, is found right here with His people. This is where God dwells. How does He do it? Paul says it's by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Jesus is present with us in a special way through the Holy Spirit. Now you may remember before Jesus was arrested in John 14, verse 16, He said to His disciples, 
I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in his physical body, could not be with the universal church worldwide. So he would send another helper. Now notice the word another, which means it's going to be one like Jesus. Because Jesus has already been their helper. He has already been their counselor. He's already been their guide and will be their savior. And now he's going to send another. It's going to be the spirit. Paul says the spirit of Christ in other places. In other words, the spirit is so attached to Jesus that Paul could speak of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Christ. In fact, later on that evening in the high priestly prayer, the way in which Jesus spoke about the relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit is that all three are one. Three infinite persons in one. So that God the Father is fully in the Son and the Son is fully in the Spirit and the Spirit is fully in the Father and the Son. So now that when God sends His Spirit, it's not just the Spirit with whom we commune, but it's the fullness of the Father and the fullness of the Son and the fullness of the Spirit because the Spirit brings all three. God dwells with His church in the power of His Spirit. Now He says in the New Testament that He dwells in individual believers and He dwells in His corporate body, the church. God does dwell in us as individual believers, but He doesn't do so so that we can remain isolated and have our own personal relationship with God out there. He does so that when we gather together as the corporate body, the presence of God and the power of the Spirit is magnified. So that when God's people gather, He says, I am there. And I am at work. And I am building special relationships. He's called a people for Himself. That is the whole point of what He is doing in salvation. Because the very end of the Bible tells us, Revelation 21, verse 3, that the dwelling place of God is with man. He is reversing the very thing that took place in the garden when Adam and Eve were cast out of the presence of God. So that now what we find is this great city where all of God's people are welcome in His presence. And He's gathering us together. And He says, now I will dwell with you there in a special way. People wonder, where can I find God? We often refer to them as seekers. They're, they're seeking something. They're seeking meaning and purpose in life. They're seeking something transcendent. Maybe they're seeking the God of the Bible. We don't know. But they want to know, where can I find Him? And maybe if that's you, you've looked in all kinds of places and you've never settled. Sometimes it's actually Christians maybe who, who feel like they are estranged from God and wonder, where can I find God? Where can I get him? How could I possibly get back? Well, let me just tell you, in one sense, as the children said earlier, God is everywhere, isn't he? Isn't that what the children catechism said? Where, where is God? God is everywhere. It's true. God is in your families. God is in your schools. God is in the YMCA. He's in your coffee shops, your place of work. God is everywhere. He's in your neighborhoods. He's at work there. He is doing things. But God dwells here. Friends, that's different. 
God dwells here. His interests are here. His bride is here. His work is here. What He wants for us, He says, you'll find right here. I will give Myself to you unreservedly, He says, here. So seek Me here. He abides in the church like no other place. His work is most clearly seen here. His interests are most seenly here. This is the community that He loves. Now some people could say, how could that be? The church is filled with so many problems. How could that possibly be? Where could God possibly dwell where there are no problems in this world? How could that be? Is there a place without sin? No. The reality is that God can dwell here and does dwell here because He has cleansed His bride. He has made her holy and radiant. He has removed our sins as far as the east and from the west and therefore it's His delight to dwell here. He doesn't do it begrudgingly. He's not one of those members of a family who's there because they have to be. Because people will be mad at them if they're not there. He's one who's here because He loves you. And He delights to be with you. Now others might say, what's the difference? Why can't I get God on my own in some other, or in some other place? Well, you can. You can get Him somewhere else. But you can't get Him in the same way that you get Him in the church. And we know that because He says so. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, the real problem, the real problem in the church is not so much that God isn't alive here. The real problem is that God's people aren't fervent and alive towards Him and each other. Otherwise, we tell God He's a liar. Lord, You don't dwell in the church. God says, don't call me a liar. I promise. I promise. So the fault must be not with God, but the fault must be with God's people who aren't seeking Him who aren't pursuing Him, who aren't having their hearts wide open towards Him and His people. Let me mention three problems to that real quick. First is that those who find it a struggle to find God in the church are sometimes those whose lives are so busy in the church. In other words, they work and they do all kinds of things in the church and they find themselves so distracted by the job they're no longer actually pursuing the one who has brought them into the church. So some people can be so busy. Now I'm not saying don't serve. God wants us to serve. But He says when you're serving, don't take your eyes off of Me. Second thing is this. Those whose hearts in the church are too hard, they don't actually want to find God. They're comfortable where they are. Lord, leave me alone. I will attend church. But Lord, leave me alone. God's people, leave me alone. And you see, because of that hardness of heart, why could you ever expect to find God when you have an unwillingness to come to Him and an unwillingness to be with His people? The third is this. Simply trying to find God elsewhere. Trying to find God elsewhere. Putting your energies and your efforts into seeking God outside the church. I will make my way on my own. 
God says, well, you might be able to do that for a short period of time. But sooner or later, you will either fail or you will come back to the church and realize that is where I dwell. If our hearts are close to the people of God, to the church, then we will not experience the Spirit of Christ dwelling among us and in us. God promises to dwell with us. God plans. Do you know this? God plans to meet with us every Sunday. It's His delight. Are we doing the same thing? Are we planning to meet with Him? Are we preparing ourselves all week? Are we gathering together? Maybe one-on-one, maybe in small groups, are we gathering together and encouraging one another that we might be better prepared? Because God says, when you do, you will find that I dwell there in rich ways that you have never experienced before. I said earlier, the name of our church is Reformation Presbyterian. That the Reformation was all about a movement to reform the church, to reform it spiritually. And you might say that the same kind of thing goes on or should go on in every church every single day. That we're constantly being reformed, constantly being built into this holy temple, constantly forming these friendships and bonds in Jesus Christ and constantly seeking God in the church. So as you think about our name Reformation, think my life needs to be reformed more and more. And the way in which that happens is that God draws me into His church to find Him and to find His people there. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You and we thank You and praise You that You have made Your home in Your church. This is Your dwelling place. Forgive us that we so often forget it. Forgive us so often that we denounce it and say that it is not true. Forgive us for so often going off of what we feel or being based uh, on our dislikes and displeasures. Lord, help us to overcome all of those things and to seek You and find You where you dwell in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.